Hello and welcome to Japan Explained. On the 14th of October 1872, the first passenger train traveled from Shinbashi Station in Tokyo to Sakuragicho Station in Yokohama. Which means that this year the Japanese railroads are celebrating their 150th anniversary. And what could be a better way to join the fun than by talking about tanuki? Wait, what tanuki have to do with trains, you're probably thinking? Well, we'll get to it later, but the history of tanuki begins much earlier than that. Archaeological evidence shows that tanuki have lived in Japan for thousands of years. They belong to the canine family, but are much closer relatives to foxes than to wolves or dogs. Tanuki, in a way, is a super beast. It's a dog that looks like a raccoon, it's omnivorous, climbs and dives perfectly, and in winter it hibernates, and even can come out of sleep at will. But I guess you are not here for the zoology lesson. So we move on to linguistics. As it turns out, the kanji tanuki in China originally referred to the Bengal cat and other medium-sized cat-like mammals. In Japan, there were no such cats, but there were plenty of other medium-sized mammals. So the Chinese character began to represent animals that were more familiar to the Japanese. Tanuki, badger, ferrets, flying squirrel, and sometimes even wild boar. But that would have been fine, if not for the character Mujina that came to Japan at the same time and stood for the badger alone. Yet sometimes was also used for tanuki, because visually the Japanese badger and tanuki are quite similar. As a result, from the early Japanese texts, it is not at all clear what kind of animal the authors are talking about. But it doesn't matter for folklore, so let's stop with the linguistics and move on to the main story. The first surviving mentions of Tanuki date back to the 8th century. And there are two of them. The early 8th century law Jokutoritsu includes the punishment for smoking foxes and badgers slash tanuki, Mujina, out of burial grounds. And in 720, the authors of the Nihonshuki Chronicle write that in the 35th year of the reign of Empress Suiko, that is 627, Mujina from Michinoku, then a wild land in northern Honshu Island, first transformed into a human form. In another copy of the same chronicle, the episode is mentioned somewhat differently. It tells of a Mujina who became close to humans, but does not mention the transformation at all. However, both stories claim that the animal sang. There is also a theory that the story of the singing Mujina was first invented by a girl to disguise the visits of a nighttime suitor. Whether this is true or not, the legend spread across the country and singing Mujina capable of transforming into humans began to appear in other regions of Japan as well. But apart from that, we find almost no mentions of Tanuki or Mujina in the documents and literature of ancient Japan. 
It seems that the interest in Tanuki among the Japanese only awakens in the 13th century, when the first complete story about them appears in the collection of Setsuwa, Tales from Uji. There we read a story of a monk who lived in the mountains. In the evenings he began to see Bodhisattva Fugen on a white elephant. And one day the monk invited a hunter, who brought him provisions, to stay overnight and watch the miraculous event. And the hunter agreed, but when the dazzling Bodhisattva appeared before him, he began to doubt how could he, a killer of the living, be worthy of such an honor. The hunter took out his bow and arrow and fired in the direction of the miraculous vision. And the Bodhisattva vanished, and the next morning the monk and the hunter found a trail of blood leading to the dead Tanuki's body. In the 14th century, the tanuki appears in the Nichureki calendar, along with the fox and the badger, from which it is now separated. The calendar claimed that the cries of tanuki heard on certain days foretold illness, death, quarrels, or the arrival of officials with an inspection. Indeed, what could be worse? And if you're starting to wonder if you've heard similar stories before in the Kitsune Explained episode, you are absolutely right. By the 14th century, fox folklore was far more developed and artists were already busy painting scrolls with the story of the cunning Tamamonawai. Tanuki, which have about the same abilities as Kitsune, borrowed some of the fox stories as well. There was even a special word to describe tanuki and foxes. Kori, made up of the characters for these two animals. And Hugo Alfonso Casal in his book The Goblin Fox and Badger and Other Witch Animals of Japan wrote that the Japanese attribute the origin of the magical powers of the kitsune, tanuki and other burrowing animals to the fact that in the silence of the night these animals listen to what is going on in the bowels of the earth. And so... It is not surprising that they are so similar and replace each other in the stories with ease. All these similarities and relatedness, foxes and tanuki are eternal rivals, and their confrontation has even resulted in the expression the fox has seven guises, the tanuki has eight. But even if tanuki do win the battle of transformation, Foxes certainly hold the upper hand in terms of the variety of folklore associated with them. While in the Kitsune Explained episode we navigated through the intertwined categories of foxes, fox possessions, kitsune mochi and other confusing fox folklore, things are much simpler with tanuki. They are either good, mischievous or evil. Bad tanuki eat old ladies, Mischievous ones fool people for fun or drum on their bellies in the middle of the night, and good tanuki help people or reward them generously for taking care of them, like the tanuki from the famous story Bunbuku Chagama, who turned himself into a teapot. With just that little bit of folkloric baggage, we move forward to the 17th century and Edo period. And in the Edo period, as I mentioned in both the Yokai Explained and the Kitsune Explained episode, Japanese monsters experienced their peak in popularity. While 17th century encyclopedias still present tanuki as an ordinary animal, 
Taraji Mariowen in his Wakan Sansaizue in 1712 describes both the real beast and its supernatural abilities. Like a kitsune, an old tanuki will often transform into a yokai, and also they enjoy themselves by tromping on their bellies, he writes. In 1776, Toriyama Sekien includes a tanuki in his collection of yokai, Gazuhaki Yego. However, his tanuki does not look impressive at all. It has little to no resemblance to the chubby, big-eyed animal we regularly see in modern Japan. But since the end of the 18th century, the image of tanuki has undergone enormous changes, most of them, surprisingly, unrelated to its role in the stories. First, tanuki got a large belly, and this transformation is still understandable. In 18th century stories, tanuki like to drum on their bellies, and the desire of the artist to paint it more like a drum is perfectly understandable. But then, tanuki all of a sudden get huge golden balls. Yep, the very ones you're thinking about. And all attempts to explain their origins usually bring us to the gold leaf workshops in the city of Kanazawa. Artisans producing gold leaf would take a small ball of gold, wrap it in leather, and then beat it with hammers to produce the thinnest gold leaf. The best skin for the task was that from the scrotum of a tanuki. It was soft but tough and very pliable. It was even said that by using such skin, a small piece of gold could be turned into a sheet of about 8 tatami mats in size, and that is about 12, 14 square meters. And then the symbolism and the wordplay, so beloved by the Japanese of the Edo period, came into play. Gold in Japanese is kin, a ball is tama, and a ball of gold, kin no tama, sounds very close to the slang term kintama. Besides, since tanuki leather helps artisans to stretch gold, it will probably also help common townspeople who want to stretch their hard-earned money. Witty merchants were quick to grasp a new business idea. And after all, what is a wallet if not a money sack? In Japanese, money is written with the same character as gold. And gold, as you already know, comes in a ball shape. We put the balls of gold into the sack and only today have a look wallets made from the magic tanuki scrotums. Bold at a period marketing at its best. When the story of the stretching golden balls reached Edo, it was immediately picked up by artists. And now the tanuki were using their money sacks as weapons, boats, sails, umbrellas, store signs, and whatnot. Seems like a nukiyoi artist, Tutagawa Kunyoyoshi, had the most fun, with two entire series of such prints. On the episode's page, I'll post a link to the site where you can check all of his prints with a commentary. They're really funny, so don't forget to check it out. But apparently drawing tanuki balls in different situations was much more interesting than talking about them. And even a collector of Japanese folklore, Zack Davison, admits that he's only seen a couple of stories where they played any notable role. Instead, 18th and 19th century tanuki 
are referred to in the stories as shape-shifting animals, capable not only of transforming themselves, but also of changing objects and the landscape around them, creating grand elaborate illusions. But in spite of their powers, Tanuki tend to turn into fun-loving, food-loving people, and especially often into chubby monks, who clearly never heard of asceticism. There is certainly some parody of monks here, but in other stories Tanuki perform all their monastic duties and do strive for enlightenment. As if in response to the fox's strong association with the Shinto religion, the image of Tanuki becomes firmly glued to Buddhism. What else do we know about Tanuki of the Edo period? But they are very fond of beans and fish, especially dojo fishes, which were brutally drowned in sake to make nabe, and so they sometimes steal fish from fishermen returning home or prank them by making their nets heavier. Fishermen pull them out of the water, hoping for a big catch, but get an empty net. The question of where does the fish go is open, but as you know, Tanuki are good swimmers and quite good divers. One more thing Tanuki enjoy is mischief. They might throw rocks and sand into your home, drop water buckets into wells, or mess up your kitchen if you've left it open. No magical powers we needed for that, though. Just like Kitsune, Tanuki are believed to light magical fires. Their sightings were especially common near Osaka and in the province of Kishu, nowadays Wakayama Prefecture. The lights appeared on rainy days, and unsuspecting passers-by often mistook them for a fire from another passers-by pipe. There were even cases of them asking a tanuki for some light. Just like Kitsune, the old tanuki possessed the gift of foresight. But again, more Buddhist one, as they could only see the approach and details of their own death. For example, in one story, a tanuki tells the people who took care of him that the next morning a hunter with a dog will find and kill him, and ask his patrons to make sure that it is the dog that kills him, because an intricate chain of reincarnations connects him with a hunter. And of course, just like a fox, a shape-shifting tanuki could be detected if you pay attention to details. For example, his clothes won't get wet in the rain, and his weight will remain the same no matter what he's turned into. So, suspiciously light, large objects might be suspicious for a reason. And now, finally, we find ourselves in the middle of the 19th century. Commodore Perry had arrived and sailed back home, the major restoration happened, the emperor moved to Tokyo, and in the year 1869 the new Japanese government approved the design of the country's first railroad. On October 14, 1872, the first passenger train ran from Shinbashi Station in Tokyo to Sakuragicho Station in Yokohama. And along with trains and railroads, came stories about tanuki terrorizing train drivers by imitating the sound of an approaching train, or even transforming into a train itself. Unfortunately, these stories usually end badly for the tanuki when the train driver decides to test his luck and goes full speed. 
The first stories about Tanuki trains appeared around 1878-79, but the legends about them soon became so numerous that a special term emerged to describe them. Fake trains, Nisekisha, or another, more poetic, ghost trains, Yurei Kikansha. In 1926, children's book author and folklorist Matsutani Miyoko collected more than 40 such stories from around the country in her book. Other folklorists confirmed that the legend was so widespread that by the early 1920s everyone in Japan had heard it at least once. Tanuki trains reached even remote islands, where real trains never existed. Researchers believe that tanuki in these stories are a symbol of nature standing against progress, a symbol of tradition dying in the modern world, a symbol of the little man powerless to stop societal change. And this makes it all the more symbolic that at the end of the story the animal usually dies because of its innocent prank. Is this what contemporaries thought of these stories? Perhaps. Indeed, not everyone welcomed the progress, and there were settlements that opposed the railroad going through them. They feared that travelers would stop staying at local inns, that the smoke of steam locomotive would damage mulberry trees and disrupt silk production. It was also rumored that sound of the train would make chickens stop laying eggs and shorten the life of anyone who heard it. It's worth noting, though, that not all Tanuki train stories ended badly. Sometimes the animals were very successful in fooling villagers into thinking they were on a train ride, when in fact they just wandered around the neighborhood for hours. But speaking of those who didn't like trains and other Western innovation, we should not forget the famous writer Natsume Soseki. Seems like a very unlikely choice, I know. Soseki knew English very well, studied in London, taught English language and literature, and plus, he was born in 1867, so he couldn't possibly remember the old ways. And yet he happened to become the voice of the beautiful old days. The interesting thing for us today is that Soseki also expressed his dislike of westernization through Tanuki. In one of his works, the main character reads a book written by a tanuki who complains. Such a commotion about Western this and Western that. Why make such a big deal out of this new Western import, hypnotism, he laments, when tanuki have been doing the same thing for centuries? Indeed, why? Western diplomats, translators and travelers didn't make a fuss about tanuki, which was equally new to them, but simply wrote Badger in their translations of Japanese fairy tales and never thought twice about it. By the token, they might as well have called it a panda, exclaims Zach Davison. I hope he never asked Google to show him a photo of a tanuki, because photos of the red panda appear in the compilations far more often than I'd like to believe. To be fair, it was the Japanese themselves who confused the foreign translators. Because, while I admit saying that Mujina the Badger was separated from Tanuki in around the 14th century, the problem is that it was not true for all regions. The locals knew of this particularity and in some cases even used it to their benefit. For example, when it was forbidden to hunt Tanuki, they hunted Mujina, 
and gave the officials a surprise Pikachu face if they were caught for it. What's more important, it worked, and they were acquitted. However, I have no such excuse for all the translators who called Tanuki raccoons. The next and most recent transformation of Tanuki took place in the 20th century. If you've ever been to Japan, you've surely seen small, or sometimes not so small, Tanuki sculptures displayed in front of stores or restaurants. Although today you can see them pretty much all around the world. A chubby, smiling animal in a straw hat with a checkbook in his paws, like the one on the cover of this episode. That's how the modern Tanuki looks like. How did he appear and gain his popularity? Well, that's actually a pretty fun story. There is just one man standing behind the image of the 20th century Tanuki, Fujiwara Tetsuzo, a porter from Koka, a small town in southern Shiga prefecture, famous for its Shigaraki Yaki ceramics. And at the start of the 20th century, he opened his studio producing Tanuki sculptures there. Nothing remarkable, it would seem. But in 1951, Koka was visited by Emperor Hirohito, now called Showa. The emperor was supposed to be welcomed with great pomp and festivities, so for his arrival in Shigaraki, locals built an arch of the main local speciality, hibachi burners, and along the road they put up tanuki sculptures with Japanese flags in their paws. The emperor was surprised and delighted by the sight and even composed a poem, but I won't read it out to you because I've already tortured you with my recitations of Japanese poetry before, and I couldn't find a translation anyway. What's important for us, the sentimental verse was quickly picked up by newspapers, making Tanuki from Shigaraki famous all over the country. Now the only thing left to do was to consolidate the image in the popular mind. Thus, the Shigaraki Tanuki developed its eight attributes, or eight virtues. A straw hat protects him from unforeseen difficulties, a checkbook inspires trust, and a bottle of sake symbolizes virtue. Big eyes help Tanuki to make the right decisions, a smile means friendliness, a big belly indicates calmness and stability, a strong tail represents steadiness and strength, and the golden balls, of course, symbolize prosperity. Fans of Japanese folklore cry in unison over this image of Tanuki, because the many virtues don't suit yokai at all. But, as the authors of Tofugu pointed out, what can you do if the train always wins? Another thing that happened in the 20th century was that Tanuki suddenly made their way into Europe. In the 1930s, they were first imported to the USSR for their fur, which, by the way, is commonly used in Japan to make calligraphy brushes. Furry and omnivorous Tanuki have adapted to the European part of the USSR quite well, and later spread all over Northern Europe. Now they are moving southwards, and in 2005 they were already sported in Northern Italy. As for Japan, there Tanuki continued to fight for their original habitat. In a famous studio Ghibli anime Pompoko, 
The story takes us back to the 1960s, when Tanuki fought against housing developments in Tama City on the outskirts of Tokyo. And even today, it is not uncommon to see them not only in the countryside, but also in the very heart of Tokyo. For example, they are often spotted on the grounds of the Meiji Jingu Shrine and in the gardens of the Imperial Palace. Sometimes animals even enter the subway or office buildings, like one tanuki that disturbed a belly studio in 2013. However, he quickly realized that dancing was not something he wanted to pursue and voluntarily surrendered to the police. If you haven't had a chance to meet a real tanuki, that's okay. Just walk into any Lawson convenience store that employs Ponta the tanuki as its mascot, or look around and you're sure to find tanuki figurine at the entrance to a small restaurant or bar. And, by the way, it's quite possible that they also serve some tanuki for lunch there. Not the actual tanuki, of course, the tanuki soup became a thing of the past along with the fairy tales in which it is mentioned. But you can still eat tanuki udon or tanuki soba noodles today. It's popular but a rather strange dish if you ask me. Because instead of appetizing aburage or tempura, the noodles are topped with tenkasu, crunchy and airy pieces of deep-fried butter that instantly dissolve in your mouth. I think you've already guessed why this dish is called tanuki. In exactly the same way that tanuki fools people and the money received from the animal will likely turn into leaves, tenkasu looks like something small cooked in tempura, but melts in your tongue without a trace. So don't let the food fool you, waiting suspicious people, and happy Halloween! But before you start celebrating, please don't forget to subscribe to the show, share this episode with a friend who might like it, and note that I'm always ready for a treat. The link to buy me some chocolates and candies is right down in the description. Have fun and talk to you soon! Bye!